welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm in a great mood. Glad to hear it. Great mood. We, I am... I mean, at the time you're listening to this, I'm either done with my diet or just days away. At this point where you and I are less than a week away as of yep. the time of this recording. And I... Oh, the things I'm going to do on Wednesday. The things I'm going to do to myself. This is taking Frozen yogurt. Okay. in and out Burger. Okay. Cherry Coke Zero. Still, still the Zero. So here's... Uh, <laughs> well, I... So the thing about Coke Zero... I'm not I, actually going to do that, by the way. I tried to have a Coke Zero. And I know I've probably said this on the show before. I certainly tweeted it. That uh, Coke Zero is uh, horrible. It's not Diet Coke, but here's the thing. It doesn't say it's Diet Coke. It says, now with more Coca-Cola flavor. We taste just like Coke. No. To people who are used to Diet Coke, I'm sure it tastes just like Coke. But to people who are trying to get away from Coke and are looking for some kind of buffer between Coke and nothing, uh, it it just tastes just awful. I really tried to make a go of it, and uh, it's just like, I'd rather not have Coke than have this. But haven't you, I've gotten to a point in my life, and we'll introduce our guest in a second here, but... He gets it. Where I'm less, um, (laughs) I think a regular Coke to me Mm -hmm. is still delicious, Oh yeah, but it's almost like a dessert to me now. It's like a thing I want to have every once in a while, because it's, my, my, I think my palate has changed and it's too much for me now. I can't have, uh, I certainly, even, uh, even like two months ago when I was having probably one per day, which, you know... Back from my college days, I would yeah, it's a s- just suck market it down. improvement. And so, um, but like I, I can't really have like if I if I'm out at a restaurant where it's just free refills, like I'll have one, and then they'll give me another refill. And in my younger days, you know, when I was fit and trim, <laughs> um, I could suck down like four of those things. I get through like one and a quarter, and I'm like, can I have some water, please? <laughs> and it's just like, man, soda is is too heavy for me yeah. like that's pretty yeah. sad that's right but i will drink coke zero and cherry coke zero like there is no tomorrow oh my gosh especially when there's rum in it it really i don't know there's really what's what's worth it if that's what you're drinking you know what i mean like <laughs> i don't know just like uh i don't know it's it's one of those being on this diet has uh-huh. has led me to now i've i've lost a, a fair amount of weight and it's very exciting but um there, there were days when part of me is like, I am miserable. You know what? I think I'm willing to be over, not fat, like crazy fat, but like, I think I'm willing to be overweight if it means I actually occasionally get to eat something I like, uh-huh. you know? And just like... To not live in agony. It, not to, to just, like, it reminds me, there's a Patton Oswalt bit that I, I, in which he's talking about people at a, at a Hollywood party, like good looking people who are just miserable and thin. Uh-huh. And I remember being like, if you're thin, you're not miserable. Now I get it. Because they don't know the joys of a bowl of Apple Jacks. You know what I mean? <laughs> or a regular meat and potatoes Coke. That's not, the, that's not a new flavor. I just mean like a simple Coke with no, no frills. You know? Yeah. They, just, they can't let themselves have it. And, and I can. Because I'm not looking to be a lead actor. Or anything like that. <laughs> a savory well, Coke does sound good, though. Oh, well, that... Uh, <laughs> The voice that you just heard uh, inventing a new flavor of Coke that the people in Atlanta over there should get on top of right away. <laughs> get on it. Uh, it you, if you read the website with any regularity at all, um, you'll 
know the name and maybe even recognize some of the prose stylings in his speech, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, he's been writing stuff for our website uh, almost as long as anyone who's not yeah. me and you, Tyler. Uh, it's Matt Warren. Do you prefer Matt? Uh, Matt's good, yeah. Okay, Matt mm-hmm. Warren. Hello, everyone. Uh, and thanks for having me on the show, you guys. It's... Uh been a fan since well before our involvement and together and uh it's a pleasure to be here well that's not, see that's the key i want to have people on the show that have heard the show and will be complimentary right off the bat because then maybe people will like the listeners will follow their lead and be like this is a good show because <laughs> i have to assume they're on the fence until I'm, then. yeah i consider myself an ambassador for the show <laughs> so um hearts and minds now uh Let's get to know you. Now, you're here today because, uh, I mean, as, as of this recording, Sundance is still ongoing. Um, It'll go through Sunday, yeah. Through Sunday, um, which is the day this show should go up, unless I fuck up again like I did last week and it doesn't go until Monday. Um, uh, it was the stupidest thing I did. Anyway, um, <laughs> but you just got back from there. You spent five days uh, yeah, at, when- at the Sundance Film Festival. And that, that's what we're going to talk about. But let's hold on. Let's put a pin in that for now, as they say. Okay, pinned. Uh, tabled and let's get to know matt warren um how did you how how did you come by your film fandom well um actually i mean sundance it was a big part of it because i uh i grew up in park city um Hmm. and went to the high school there and it was uh you know every year it was something that was you know very exciting that would roll through town just like the barman bailey circus almost uh-huh. um pitching up tents and um you know and as someone who um my initial my initial introduction to kind of the world of film was i was really into like horror movies and things when i was in high school and through that i sort of um you know at the same time i sort of developed an interest in uh you know sort of the hip older like 70s movies uh-huh. that my dad would point me towards um, but I didn't really sort of think of myself as a filmmaker or, you know, someone who had a professional interest in film or film culture until I got to, uh, college, um, and started hanging around with a bunch of filmmakers and sort of fell in with the wrong crowd. Uh, <laughs> and I was an art student before that. And, um, once I realized I was the worst person at the university of Utah at painting and drawing, I, <laughs> I uh, you know, sort of turned my focus, my energies on filmmaking instead. So, um, uh, okay. Uh, man, I have questions. Let's, okay. Let's double pin the Sundance thing. Oh Cause my. I'm going to ask you more about your younger experiences of Sundance as a way of, uh, segueing into this year's Sundance. Um, so how, how did you, uh, how did you come to Los Angeles? Well, um, just it's i guess after you finish film school you either have uh the new york option or the <laughs> los angeles option and the although East- you know what i considered canada canada oh yeah i know a lot of stuff shoots in like vancouver and, and even in toronto in toronto and i uh, i i considered that after school going to and you wanted to avoid the draft you wanted to avoid the draft <laughs> you wanted to get surgery for free <laughs> yeah um no i mean yeah that, canada Canada is always up there looming with its with its lures of maple syrup and uh, hockey, 24-7 hockey. But, um, no, I mean, L.A. seemed easier to do for me. Just I, I wonder, sorry to interrupt, 
but I like hockey. Hockey's like my sport as much as I like yeah. sports, but I wonder how much of my like my my appreciation for hockey is that it's this sort of redheaded stepchild of the four major sports. Like you're, just, if, like you're just being snotty. <laughs> right. And if I lived in Vancouver where every asshole was into hockey, would I like care less about it? You'd probably be into like beach volleyball. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now I mean, I was never a big basketball guy to begin with because I'm from St. Louis and we haven't had a, a pro team in my lifetime. But like living in Los Angeles, where there are Lakers fans, makes me hate <laughs> basketball so much. Uh, and so I think that, especially after the you know what happened in Vancouver after the the Canucks won and they rioted, uh, I think I w- or the Canucks lost and yeah, they, they lost, rioted. They lost and rioted. So, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I get the impression that if I lived in Vancouver, I might not like like hockey as much as I do. Well, I mean, I was a big hockey fan too, and we had a. Uh, I think it was uh, whatever the AAA equivalent of uh, NHL is in Salt Lake, the uh, the Grizzlies. Yeah, uh, and so I I grew up a hockey fan as well, but I just yeah you know, I didn't retain any of it um, past a certain point. Um, I it just it's just too cold in the venue. You just walk in, and it's like the the temperature is lowered. It's just unpleasant. Yeah, that's why you buy yeah. you buy a jersey because they're they're called sweaters for a reason. All right, uh, sorry. Back to movie. You're moving to Los Angeles. Yeah, well, I um I, I came out here after film school, and this was '04, I think, mm-hmm. and uh didn't have much of a plan. Didn't even really know how. You know, I, I was a standout how little I knew once I moved to L.A. Um, I didn't realize, for example, that they filmed TV shows and movies on studios, like studio backlots. Uh-huh. I thought that that was a like a remnant of the 30s and 40s that didn't exist after uh-huh. 1968. So I was I, – I, and I – was like literally like oh they still have these here like these big <laughs> and so that's that's the the quality of education that the uh, university of utah film program <laughs> provided me with um but no so you know i um you know was interested in screenwriting primarily and uh eventually got a job as a uh, paramount page over on the paramount lot yeah and so I spent about 10 months there uh, sort of, you know, processing the guests, the uh, audience at the Dr. Phil show and uh-huh. uh, giving tours around the back lot oh, uh, I for... Wonder, wait, I wonder if we were... Because I was a PA on a movie for the summer of 06. What movie? Uh, Year of the Dog. I don't know if you were still... Were you still there in summer of 06? I wasn't there in summer of 06, <laughs> but a lot of people I knew still were. Yeah, yeah. I, The time I would have been there would be like 04, 05. Okay. I remember Elizabeth Town was the big thing they were filming no. on the lot. Well, when I was there. Um, when I, Year of the Dog was not the big thing they were they were <laughs> filming on the lot, but they were filming, uh, I guess, Jackass Two Ooh. that summer. Yeah, <laughs> and they did some stuff. I mean, most of that is obviously location, but they did. Uh, I never saw the movie, but they did some sound <laughs> sound stage. Well, it was stuff. hilarious. And uh, uh, here's two stories. Uh, one time, now you know the lot, so you'll know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but I'll try to explain it for other people. There's the main parking lot in front, and there's sort of a back area of the parking lot that's sunken. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I guess, I've never actually seen it happen. B-tank, they call it. Yeah, you can. they can take all the cars out and fill that up. It's a, it's a tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, but most of the time, it's just a parking lot with cars in it, and it has, so it has these walls that are maybe like what would you say, like four feet, mm-hmm, like uh, four or five feet. Yeah. Um, and so again, I never saw Jackass two, but I guess there's a part. Uh, did you see it? Have you guys seen it? No. I, I saw it when it first came out, actually at the Paramount Theater. Oh, well, I was it's a nice theater. Yeah, it is nice. Um, um, it's a good theater to see like thirty foot crisp dicks in <laughs> for the Jackass films. Um. Uh, oh, I guess this must be a part in the movie where Jack, where uh, Johnny Knoxville, I almost called him Jackass, uh, is, is <laughs> Mr. Wearing, Jackass wearing like a cream-colored suit. Uh, I, I don't know. Sounds plausible. So one time I'm walking over to uh, I don't know, get something from the whatever, uh, and I walk past and there's just Johnny Knoxville sitting on the end on the top of this four-foot wall, looking great in a cream-colored suit, but. <laughs> So miserable. <laughs> like, he was, he looked so unhappy. And that was only the second one. They made, yeah. they made another one after that. So imagine what that was like. Um, and then the other thing that happened is I was uh, I had the production van and I was trying to get off the lot. So I'm making some turns and I make this turn left and there's like that some of the trailers like in the on the lot you know and across the uh, the the soundstage that Jackass Two is on, I almost run into like in the front of what i'm what um, i now realize was bam's trailer <laughs> he's like got a he, it's like bam sitting on the step of his trailer and there's like a harem of women <laughs> around him and i almost plowed over them in the in the production van uh those are my those are my two stories of jackass. see I, I feel like the jackass guys are like some of the few people that if you were to plow over their entire female entourage <laughs> you could be like Ha! What do you think? Uh, it's all part of the show. You don't need to call the cops and then just drive away. And he'd be yeah. like, oh, you got me. Now time to get some more uh, prostitutes. You just have to vomit and then <laughs> drive off in your golf cart. Another coincidence, um, on, a, on a later job that I had, I were, um, when I was doing were a PA at a motion capture company, they did the motion capture for the Jackass video game there. Oh. <laughs> and um, that was kind what, of... They were kind what, of obnoxious. But I did get to have a cigarette with Steve-O. That was nice. Oh, yeah. He seems like a, uh, a fun guy to have a cigarette with. Yeah. I, I, he, did, he, I mean, did he, like, stick it up his pee hole or anything? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask him. To. He might have if I'd asked him to, or dared him to. You weren't there for the whole cigarette. Like, <laughs> you know, you it's like, I got to get back to work. It's like, all right, I'll be out here. And then you just hear, ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have a friend who worked on a movie with uh, Preston Lacey and... Um, some some day after shooting uh, at you know some all night like drinking and drug party, um, libel I guess we should watch out for. <laughs> you didn't hear that, um, but yeah, they were just all in like queued up for the uh, the urinals at the restroom, and Preston Lacey just walked in and unzipped and just like urinated on my friend as if he were <laughs> a human urinal. Uh, oh, yeah, that's the kind of yeah. I I wanted to just. When I worked on the video game, I wanted to just not be around those guys because I was afraid. I was they're intense li- dudes. Yeah. yeah, but I was just always afraid at any turn I'm going to walk around the the corner and get hit in the nuts with something because the, and then they're all going to laugh and or or they're going to come up behind me and shave my head, which I don't. <laughs> I mean, I have short hair to begin with, but the fact that they do that to each other, I would. I I have a pretty good sense of humor, but I would punch someone in the nose if they came up behind me and shaved a patch into my head. Yeah, I. I, would, I I don't consider myself a violent person, but I might whirl around and be like, never talk to me again, any of you. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> You're all dead to me. <laughs> You're all dead to me. <laughs> all right. Sorry. Uh, keep, yeah. You're the guest. 
Yes. Stop, stop distracting us with all these stories <laughs> all about jackass. jackass. Well, I'm sure there's some way jackass will dovetail into Sundance. Well, let's, okay, let's get yeah. back to... So, um, uh, what, what are you up to now? What are you up to these days, besides writing uh, for Battleship Pretension? Uh, well, these days I work down in Long Beach, where I live now, mm-hmm. at a website called MyDamnChannel.com, yeah. uh, which is... Uh, Sort of, sort of like a funny or a die or a cracked type sort of destination for um, like different web series. Uh, some of, some of the biggest shows we do are things like Weenie Days with David Wayne. Right. Uh, you suck at Photoshop. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, uh, something called uh, Gigi with uh, Josh Gad from the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just, we're just a little production company and website and sort of self-distributor of these small comedy projects, essentially. And we're sort of building outwards to uh, develop sort of a blog network of different sort of uh, humor blogs and mm-hmm. entertainment sites. Um, and one of those cl- is called Slackery, and that's something I write for, yeah. uh, too, in addition to Battleship Pretension. Cool. You are a funny writer, by the way. Uh, you wrote anything... Thank you. <laughs> I guess almost a year ago at this point, that was just an imagined conversation of Robert Evans oh, changing his cable <laughs> provider, and it's it's on the Battleship Retention website, and I still, I still love it so much. The last line of it, I still think of and laugh sometimes, and I don't know if I should spoil it for the listener or not. Well, okay, I, don't, I, I, I don't think I remember what it is myself. Line, so. he, he, you know, he's talking about oh, he's changing his cable provider, and uh, the last line he says, yeah, I'll be here from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., I'll always be here. <laughs> it's yeah, you, and you've done you've done uh, several blogs of that like that that are that are you know mostly humor, mm-hmm. and I find them very funny. But I remember the very first one we got. I don't remember exactly what it was. It might have had something, some kind of combination of uh, uh, what is it? Never say no. Oh, it was. Um, I think it was around the time Justin Bieber's "Never right. Say Never" came never out. Never say never. Yeah, and. Uh, David was sending around uh, the emails as he does each week, seeing what new releases all of the bloggers would, you know, potentially want to review. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was harassing Daniel a little bit because he's Canadian, <laughs> saying that he should he should suck it up and review Never Say Never. <laughs> and you know, and he didn't take me up on that. And I think I, I was just driving around, and um, I was like, you know, that would probably be pretty funny to write about. But then I was like, well. <laughs> I don't actually want to see it. Um, maybe I'll just review it as if I had seen it. And maybe I'll just review it as if it were an action film. And maybe I'll just review it as if it was falling down with Michael Douglas. <laughs> and so that's what it ended up being. Awesome. And I remember when you first uh, sent it to us, because we, we have kind of a general a general attitude with our bloggers, which is like, hey, if you want to write it, we'll, we'll post it for the most part. <laughs> and, uh, and then we got that, and it was the first like real like non-re- non-review thing. And I read it, and I was laughing. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is this? And, uh, and I think I sent it to you, and you're like, this is funny, but w- what is this? <laughs> and I said, it's Matt sent it to us. I guess we're posting it. And all my friends, and including some that went on to become bloggers, the general theme was, this is funny, but what is this? <laughs> and I was just like, just go with it, buddy. It's well, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, that's pretty much the, uh, the response I'm aiming for all the time in all things. Mission so. accomplished, buddy. Right? So I guess yeah. what I'm saying is, write more of those, right? 
Write more. Okay, yeah, I was, I was, I'm always, I'm always curious how those are being received because I, I think I don't get a lot of comments on my stuff sometimes uh, yeah. compared to some of the other guys, and I think people are either cowards uh, <laughs> and they don't want to engage with what I've written, or uh, or they're not reading it, <laughs> or or they literally can't read it because their eyes can't perceive the words on the screen. You've really kind of pigeonholed people, so. <laughs> Maybe, uh, well, I, you know what? I think you might be right, because the more I think of it, it's like, well, who reads this? And they're just like, yeah, all right, I'm time to go on with the rest of my day. <laughs> no one does that. They have to say something, unless, as you said, they are cowards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so yeah. let's get to the, the, the task at hand here. Let's talk about Sundance. But before we talk about Sundance 2012, I want to ask you how uh, how has Sundance changed? What uh, what year was the first Sundance you attended um, first? Well, it would have been in the 90s, but probably post sort of like Quentin Tarantino, right. Harvey Weinstein, crazy go-go early early 90s Sundance. So it was probably like 2000 or 1996, 97, okay. one of those years. Um, how, how has it changed since then? Uh, honestly, it seems it seems like it's held relatively steady since that time. I think the big shift was after the sort of Reservoir Dogs era and Clerks era, where it was like really a really just sort of insane destination um, for probably about half of a decade after that. Um, and then it sort of like plateaued at this level where people weren't expecting quite so, so much from it anymore, weren't expecting uh, it to kind of be a place where there would be all these sort of zeitgeisty films that yeah. would, you know, kind of create this entire sea change in film culture and sort of people just started to uh, see it as just basically a sort of celebration of non-commercial, you know, primarily American filmmaking. Um, and the, the biggest change from then till now, so late 90s to, to 2012, has been just sort of um, the sort of they've sort of created a bunch of different uh, categories in addition to just, you know, competition, documentary films, competition, uh, narrative films. Mm -hmm. Um, They have, they have a section called next uh, these days, which is mostly first time filmmakers working with micro budgets and, you know, almost always digital. Um, So that's, that's, you know, so they've kind of expanded I think they have more films these days uh, in do different they, categories. Do they do that to keep, to keep South by Southwest from cornering the uh, mumblecore <laughs> market? <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, yeah, or even uh, like Slamdance, which is mm-hmm. something that's been going on since the mid-90s, which, was, which is sort of this satellite festival that was uh, founded by a bunch of filmmakers who weren't able to get into Sundance, and so mm-hmm. they said sort of fuck you and created their own <laughs> film festival and... Um, and that's, I, I think back in the day that the rules for slam dance were that it had to be your first film and it had to be under a million dollars budget. And I think, um, something like next is sort of Sundance's attempt to kind of steal those t- types of films back mm-hmm. under the Sundance banner. When did the, the next thing start? I think it started in 2010, which okay. before this year was the first first year I'd been back in a while after coming to LA. Because that's, I, I've never been to Sundance. I only know what I've heard, and and you know, 
even in just you're telling the history, the recent history of it, and it used to be this place where you, people could go for like, what the, what's the next thing? Is it going to be Kevin Smith or Tarantino or whatever? Um, and then it became the standard thing to say about Sundance is it became re- surprisingly mainstream and really didn't embrace this idea of what a film festival is supposed to be. Uh, and because you would hear people say like, I, uh, I was thinking, like I remember in, in school there was talk of, it's like, oh, I'd like to submit a film to, to Sundance, but, you know, I just, I don't think it's, uh, I just, I think it's just too small. And it's like, too small? Yeah. It's well. I'm, I'm sorry. They're saying like I think my film is is too small. Yeah. And it's like it's in theory is supposed to be a film festival that embraces quality filmmaking of all of all kinds, recognizing that people may not have the budgets. Like that's that's what it's supposed to be. And then mm-hmm. it became, as you said, like a place for movies that were going to get a nice release anyway to premiere. Yeah. And so, but hasn't it? Would you? Sorry, did I cut you off? Well, you just and point? so it's interesting that. Uh, that now, but now that there are so many other film festivals that actually do embrace that aspect of being of what a film festival, in theory, is supposed to be, Sundance is now getting sort of back to its roots. It's al- it almost reminds me of like when uh, when they came up with MTV too, so they could actually play videos. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, the, you know, you don't have to do that. You can just go back to doing <laughs> what you yeah what you were before. Yeah, and I, I, it very very much is that. Um, and people do always talk about how Sundance needs to sort of return to its roots to championing these sorts of, um, you know, really, really esoteric sort of uh, small-scale uh, independent films. But it's, you know, at a certain point, you sort of pass a point of no return where you can't scale back anymore. You can't scale down to what something was Um and so I think they did a real smart thing with sort of uh, segmenting off a certain part of the festival specifically for those types of films. So it almost becomes like a festival within the festival. Is is the uh, the next uh, section? Is that is that a, like well attended at all? Is it respected, or or has Sundance become such a thing, such a I'm sorry to use a word like trendy, but it's become such a trendy thing that anybody of note is just going to go and see all these other you know the bigger movies anyway and 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 the next festival is uh for people who couldn't get into the real the real movies well i mean their their venues of all their theaters of all different sizes mm-hmm. at sundance and the premieres and even sort of the bigger competition films will uh almost always play at like a place like Eccles, which is this enormous uh performing arts center is also my my high school's uh, my high school auditorium. <laughs> uh, you guys did guys and dolls on that stage. Yeah, no, I uh, went, oh man, I went to a really great uh, performance of The Wiz there once. <laughs> it was fantastic, uh, and Filler on the Roof too. Um, yeah, lots of lots of good lots of good performing art stuff there. But to to answer your question, um, the next films typically play at the smaller theaters, mm-hmm. and so they pack them. Anyways, just because people go see everything yeah. um, at Sundance, so it's always at capacity. But I, I wonder sometimes if you dared to show one of those smaller sort of next section films in a place like Eccles, if the place would be filled to capacity in the same way that it is for the premieres. Now, now a few minutes ago you, when you were talking about Sundance and their identity, uh, you used the word um, uh, American, uh, American mm-hmm. film. That is definitely interpretation, but it's not... It's not American only. There are foreign films there. Yeah. 
do you find in the past 15 years that you've been going, I guess, semi-regularly, um, are there more foreign films now than there were in the 90s? Um, I feel like there there's the same amount. There's always been, uh, you know, there are documentary and narratives and competition and premieres, so that splits out, I guess, into four four different categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Um, and then within those, you have a world section for each. Um, I'm not sure that there's a world documentary premiere. I think it's. I think all the world cinema stuff are in competition. Um, and I think I think the number of those films seems to have held steady. Um, but you know that's never really been. And I, I've seen some good foreign films at Sundance over the years, but that's never really been its focus. Yeah. I would say. It's never been its identity as sort of a, a world cinema marketplace. I, you know, it Sundance before before Robert Redford's Sundance Institute assumed control. It was just the U.S. Film Festival, which mm-hmm. um, you know, and it was f- just focused pretty much exclusively on you know, sort of folk folk American films uh-huh. and. Um, and then Sundance assumed control of that sometime, I think, in the late 80s. And it's always sort of retained that that element of it, that it's, um, you know, its focus is on sort of emerging American filmmaking. So let's talk about about this year. Let's. Uh, and I guess let's let's go chronologically and just talk about the, the movies you saw. Sure. Um, so now, bef- before we even start, let's, let's say there are some, you know, you you came back early. Plus, you had some weather problems. There are, there are some movies that maybe you're hearing a lot about out of Sundance, uh, listener at home. That we're not going to talk about today. You didn't get to. What, what what would you say are the big ones that you missed? I think. Well, some of the big ones that I missed were we were talking before we started taping Smashed, mm-hmm. which was um, it, it sounded like sort of an uh, an alcoholism drama starring. Aaron Paul and right. uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and written or co-written people, by friend of the show Susan Burke. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that as well. I know a lot of people loved that. I I was working with some people out there who had seen the premiere and were just floored hmm. by it. Um, I tried to go, you know, you I, that was one of the things I tried to go see, um, and it was sold out already by the mm-hmm. time I got there. So I went and got pizza and watched the NFC <laughs> conference game instead. Um, so I heard uh, smash I or smashed I heard was something people really liked. Um, there was a, I, I haven't heard what the response to it was from the people who saw it, but I know going in everyone was really excited about a movie called John Dies at the End, mm-hmm. which is uh, starring in front of the show uh, Doug Jones. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, or, I guess I don't know if he's the lead in the film. Well, he's you know what I I watched. Uh, I watched the trailer and I knew that he was in it. And then when I saw him, yeah, it's not saying him. words. Yeah. I was, I was, I was like, good for him. It's not the Silver Surfer or Abe Sapien yeah. or uh, the Pale Man. It's now, Doug I'm not Jones. ruling out that those characters aren't in it. I'm saying that he is there unadorned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like mask off finally exactly. for Doug Jones. Um, but for those who uh, aren't, you know. <laughs> Doug Jones of Files. This is also the new film from Don Coscarelli, mm-hmm. who did uh, Phantasm and Bubba Hotep. And Bubba Hotep. And has, has he done anything between Bubba Hotep and this I want to say he did, but I can't 
pull it right now. I can't pull it either. Um, but but that was something I actually had midnight tickets to it, but I had to I had to get up early the next day and just was not able to motivate enough to stay up late. <laughs> and I had you know I had a bunch of cases like that. I I lucked into um, a bunch of free uh, uh, midnight tickets at the Egyptian theater, um, and maybe maybe a decade ago I would be more able to stay up till two to see those kinds of things but for the record the only thing that Don Coscarelli did in between Bubba Hotep and John Dies at the End was an episode of Showtime's Masters of Horror mm. which was called Incident on and off a mountain road which is one that I actually watched and it was um, uh, I, don't, I don't know how well you guys have followed the career of Ethan Embry would you like <laughs> might know him he's always Ethan, An- Ethan Randall to me <laughs> well we're all the same about the same age here, so we know him as the goofy kid from that thing you do, or the goofy kid from Empire Records, or the goofy kid from whatever else that he's in. Vegas Vacation was that him? <laughs> sure, yeah, That's that is him. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what have you been following him lately because he's like went away for a few years, and then this was this when I saw Incident on and off on and off about Mountain Road in 2005 was when I my first re-exposure to him. He's like super like beefed up now, and like he plays like a survivalist. In this <laughs> in this thing, it's not it's not at all the Ethan Embry you remember. But then and he, he was, was also, in Brotherhood. Yeah, well. he was on uh, after not, this. He was on Showtime's Brotherhood. He's not your father's Ethan Embry. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. All right, so those are the films you didn't see. You didn't see uh, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. No, another one I wanted to see. Uh, even though I'm not, I've ne- even though I've never really watched Tim and Eric's uh, awesome show, great job. Yeah. Um, th- that was that was. That was one you saw it in the program. You're like, oh, this is playing here at Sundance. This, uh-huh. this doesn't uh, seem correct, but I know there was a lot of excitement about it. Did uh, you? Were you able to see uh, Compliance? No, like, I, heard, I heard so yeah. much stuff about that. Uh, also, starring friend of the friend show, of show Pat, Healy. Pat Healy. That seems uh, to be one of the ones that really riled people up. And there's always like one per festival. And last year, I think it was Red State. And okay. this year, it, this seems to have slipped into the red state, uh, the red state slot. Well, it sounds, uh, and I do want to talk briefly about it, even though you haven't, uh, you didn't see it, because it, because I, I, I don't usually follow Sundance, uh, and I, I, if it was red state uh, last year, I knew about it primarily because of everything else around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and actually, I heard about the all the commotion. Before I knew that Pat Healy was in it, but I did know that it was from the guy that made Great World of Sound, which is a movie I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Craig Zobel. Craig Zobel, thank you. And uh, and I was reading an article about about the film, and it sounds fascinating. It sounds right up my alley. Chamber piece, acting, like st- stress, monstrous stress. And, uh, and it just sounded so fascinating. And then when I... When I heard about the Q and A afterwards, like that's where. Uh, now I I had uh, tweeted uh, Pat and said like, "What do you think about all this uh, response?" And he said, "Well, as far as the people that were bothered by it and were vocally, uh, you know, angry about the film, there were really only a couple, but they were very loud. Um, but people who just said what, that, what what bothered people? Well, do you, do you know the story of compliance? No, okay, I didn't, I didn't follow. A uh, our friend Pat Healy." plays a guy who I don't know if we ever see him but he calls the manager of like this fast food place and he pretends to be a cop and says such and such an employee 
we have pr- we have evidence that she has been stealing, mm-hmm. and so the manager pulls the employee into like the uh, into the office and follows the cops the quote unquote cops instructions about what she should do, and the manager winds up doing awful things to the employee. Both the manager and the employee are women, and but. That's and so she doesn't. She questions why is the cop having me do this, but she still does it. And so like, there's a psychological thing about like, if someone tells you to to do something, if someone with any kind of authority, even though they haven't proven it, if they tell you to do something, you'll do it. And so it just this okay. idea of like evil and and how regular people can do evil. And so that sounds amazing, mm-hmm. um, but people, but some of the stuff that is required uh, in the, uh, of the manager is to like do some like, well, no, let's not go too far. Do <laughs> some stuff that people found exp- that audience, some audience members found exploitative. Okay. Um, and th- their whole thing was like, I can't believe you would have done this, you know, for just for entertainment and stuff like that. And so first off, it's like, well, listening to that story, this doesn't sound like a typical entertaining story, <laughs> but then what gets me is, and I'm sorry. There's there's some nudity in the film, and people being angry. I'm actually more okay with that, though I don't agree with their reasoning. I'm more okay with that than this other thing, which was there were people in the audience during the Q and A who commented on the body of the younger girl, who doesn't frankly have a great deal of experience in acting, and apparently gave a great performance, mm-hmm. but commenting on her body and saying, you have a great body, and then there are peop- other people in the audience who, when they heard that, she's in the room. She's right there. Uh-huh. Other people in the audience who are like, woo! Like, <laughs> like cat calls and stuff. And she w- apparently got like very, like, visibly bothered by this. So it turned into like Daytona Beach. For- <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, when I when I read that like people getting upset that's still an artistic quibble but this this very f- I'm, I apologize to any frat boys we might have listening the very frat boyish attitude uh-huh. about <laughs> they, they know the frat boys who are listening know they're frat they boys. know who they are <laughs> and so they're, uh, part of me wondered like wh- what is happening what is happening to Sundance? That like I expect this kind of like I expect this kind of bullshit which is when someone just wanders in off this the street to see just any movie here at my local theater, but like th- people went to this film festival. It's just supposed to be a celebration of art of all kinds, and it's one thing if they don't understand it, and maybe they were uncomfortable. But this is how they express their discomfort. It was <laughs> it, it was infuriating and confusing to me. Um, yeah. Well, you know who? I mean, I've never been to Sundance, but I know who else goes, which is agents and executives. Mm-hmm. And they're, I mean, they're. Agents and executives are, they're not even frat guys. They're guys who were too uncool to get into the frat and now have a big fucking chip on their shoulder. <laughs> I work in a, in a place, there's a lot of agents and executive types around. And um, they are, I mean, I hate to generalize, but in general, they are the worst. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all part of that, like, a boiler room Mas- yeah. masculine yes. energy that's so. what it feels like i mean i i've been in like an elevator w- with them and that's what it feels like oh they're the masters of the universe yeah <laughs> yes they have to get that shit done 
Yeah, they always to, be closing. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, you got to. All right, we've referenced, referenced Boiler Room, Bonfire of the Vanities, and <laughs> Glen Gary, Glen Ross. I think we can. Oh, and Wall Street. Anyone? Uh, uh, um, greed is good. Greed, All right. Yeah. Uh, let's Twelve talk Angry about movies. Men. <laughs> Twelve Angry Men. <laughs> let's, let's talk you about. Me. Let's talk about one that I was. <laughs> Uh, that I was uh, uh, would have been excited to see um, were I there, and hopefully I'll get a chance to see it. Uh, it's called Ethel. It's a documentary. Yeah, it was, and you get a chance to see it because it'll be on HBO. Good at some point this year, I think. Um, Ethel was uh, it was directed by well, it's a um, just sort of a real just. I, I think I called it a puff piece in my blog, but that's you know that sounds a little pejorative. But it, it's a biographical documentary about Ethel Kennedy, uh, directed by Rory Kennedy, her youngest daughter, and it just sort of hits the uh, hits the uh, the highlights and lowlights of her of her life. You know, starting from uh, when she was younger as sort of a East Coast blue blood type, into sort of marrying into this political dynasty and through all the assassinations and the births of her many children and the time she stole a horse. Um, and it's, you know, it's not super, it's not super, um, well, I was going to say it's not super weighty, but that's not really true because it, it is weighty. It, it goes, it goes at a certain point, it kind of shifts over and just becomes about, uh, Robert F. Kennedy and not so much Ethel. She sort of recedes into the background, but it is a pretty good primer on Robert, F. Kennedy's career um, from when he was working in the, you know, in his brother's administration to his career afterwards. And, um, you know, there's some really, there's some really like effective footage of, you know, speeches he gave right after the Martin uh, Martin Luther King assassination. And um, it was, it was good. It's, um, you know, she doesn't, Obviously, it's like a daughter making a movie about her mother, who she clearly loves, and so there's no not a lot of like gotcha journalism. <laughs> but um, you know, with f- for anyone sort of interested in that time, and uh, you know, sort of interested in sort of what made the Kennedys tick, it's a real sort of good insider view of that. See, I just like I just get all my information from that Kennedys miniseries with uh, Greg Kinnear. I feel like. That's all I need to know, right? That should be fine. Think, was that the 24 guy yeah. who wrote that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which one? Joel Cerno? Uh, that, I, I, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Because not, not Howard Gordon, because <laughs> he does Homeland. Oh. Right? Okay. And he I don't was know. The, Joel Cerno was the right-wing one, and Howard Gordon was the left-wing yes. one? Okay. All right. That's enough TV talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, also but, on your first good. day... What's that? Oh, I was just saying that Ethel's good, so... Uh, uh, a film that I had um, not heard about before Sundance, which is, I guess, not uncommon to not have heard about films, but um, that has been getting some buzz. In, in fact, in the most recent weekly edition of The Hollywood Reporter in their Sundance section, it is the the lead-off film that was, that's discussed there, the, a big full-page uh, review of Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm-hmm. When I read about what it's, what it's about or where it takes place, you know, as a, as a fan of louisiana in general uh yeah you'll you'll like this one i, I um, i'm excited to are see you a fan of like urban new orleans or more sort of rural like um, bayou cajun stuff i've i mean i've been to uh new orleans um new orleans <laughs> i don't think i think you're adding a y in there <laughs> new orleans. <laughs> um uh that's where i've stayed but i have both times i've been out there 
gone on like Bayou tours. So like I fan, like fan boat gator wrestling type stuff. Um, not the fan boat ones because I've heard you get like wet on those. That sounds gross. <laughs> uh, the the slower pontoon ones were great. Uh, <laughs> is is what I've been on, but I don't think that other than like seeing gators and like uh, having a lot of fun, I don't think I have any real experience with uh, mm-hmm. Louisiana's more rural uh, uh, well, environs. Yeah, I mean, Beasts of the Southern Wild is is really interesting, and it's, um, you know, it, you always hope to see something j- that just feels really original, and I don't know that it feels totally original. Um, you know, when I've been thinking about how to describe it to people, I what I, what I eventually boiled it down to was sort of... Um, like Spike Jones's "Where the Wild Things Are" meets uh, George Washington, David Gordon Green's uh-huh. first movie, because uh, it has sort of these like fantastical, magical realism elements, and just sort of that sort of mournful, kind of sad, childhoody tone of "Where the Wild Things Are." And actually, that's not that's the same thing as George Washington too, in a lot of places. But um, the the plot of that one is that it takes place in this basically this like sh- like shanty town uh kind of out on the furthest southern peninsula of louisiana and um there's this young uh this young girl named hush puppy there who lives with her father who has some sort of like strange uh like semi magical disease that's eating away at him and you know they live in this real tight knit sort of itinerant community and it's eventually flooded um, when the levees burst, and it's not. It, it sort of takes place out of time. Like obviously, you draw the line between that and Katrina, but it's never mm-hmm. specifically said that it's Katrina. I think, um, and so it's just them sort of contending with this flooded out, sort of po- post-apocalyptic uh, community of theirs. Um, and at the same time, when the levees break, the um, it melts the polar ice caps, which freeze these sort of like dinosaur pigs uh-huh. that come that come like to prey on them. So they suddenly find themselves one notch down on the food chain, and it's that part of it is really underplayed. It's not uh-huh. much of an action movie or a monster movie or anything. Um, and so it's sort of this combination of all these different tones that are that's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I everything I hear about it makes me want to see it more and more and the director is it's his first movie and he's extremely young i think he's he's probably like 25 or something 25 or younger what are the uh absolutely what are the uh (laughs) special effects like i mean there are how did you describe the uh monster pigs they're they're just basically giant prehistoric pigs they're like three or four stories tall oh Oh, something like that yeah oh okay yeah, so we they were like we under underwater, like they were like frozen in or? frozen in glaciers. Did I get God, is Godzilla? Did he come from underwater? He was created by nuclear power. But did he come he out came of the from water? underwater? Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was in the ocean, but uh, uh, nuclear testing is what awoke him, or something like that. I don't remember. It's you know the the effects are like a little rough around the edges, but um, there's like a lot of practical miniature work, which is interesting. Oh, cool. hmm. Some forced perspective stuff it looks like, and um, and some really sort of subtle cg stuff i don't think they had much i mean i don't know what their budget was but i'm sure it wasn't much and the really impressive part of that film uh even more so than the uh the monsters was 
the set design is really just sort of almost, almost like a Terry Gilliam movie. This like weird shanty town with sort of trailers kind of put up in trees and you know sort of almost like Robinson Crusoe style treehouse mm-hmm. things. Uh, but apparently that most of that was were actual like locations that they found in this area wow. and not production design. And so it's you know once once the uh, director told the audience that after the Q and A, just everyone was floored. Hmm. Um, did you see uh, either of you a couple of years? I think maybe two years ago, uh, Gareth Edwards' Monsters. Did you see uh, that yes, film? I didn't see it. No. Okay, because it seems like um, that's a similar thing. And that was a movie I really responded to. I liked it quite a bit. Mm. That it's theoretically a genre movie, you know, a monster movie, but that is just like suggested, really, except for maybe a couple of segments. There's hardly any actual monsters in the movie there's just enough to give you a the fear of them and have that sort of uh, th- get that impression of monster of monster moviedom and then it gets on with its with its story with its allegory well i think that's i i think there's a uh, a nice thing with it it could it could very well be a practical decision which is all right if we make this more of a character thing and mm-hmm. a satire and we don't emphasize the monsters then we won't have to pay as much but as we saw from you know Jaws and that sort of thing, sometimes practical uh, mm-hmm. considerations make for a better movie. And and monsters, I think, by making it like the monsters have already been established in this world, mm-hmm. and and everybody, the initial shock is worn off. Now people just have to deal with them as if it were anything else. And I, I should say that the the uh, the giant dinosaur pigs are a comparatively like small part of the movie. It's mostly right. this drama about them dealing with this flood which is sort of surreal and fantastical on its own but the 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 sort of creatures are sort of just always this threat kind of on the outside of the frame matt i'm gonna be honest with you i know that you're talking about this flood i'm going to see the monster pigs all right that's that's i'll go for the monster pigs i'll stay for the flood You'll be but, holding like a little flag that says "Monster Pigs" <laughs> and like waving it around. But Monsters is sort of the same thing. It's essentially a road trip movie. Yeah, that uh, uh, in a couple of places is interrupted by, uh, I'd say, twenty-story tall, tentacled, yeah. uh, glowing purple octopus things. <laughs> um, all right, Simon Killer. This is another one I heard uh, quite a bit about. Yeah, this was. Um uh, this is, I think, the second film from the director Antonio Campos, or Campos. Uh, his first film was After School, which I, I've never seen. Have, have you guys seen it? I have not. I've heard great things. I've heard, I've heard good things, too. And Simon Killer was, um, you know, it's his second film, and it just, it just seems like someone's fifth or sixth movie. Uh, it was, it's really just sort of elegant and, like, put together. Uh, just this sort of dark character study of this sort of post-college American guy who goes to Paris to just sort of blow off steam after he and his, like, long-term girlfriend break up and just, you know, him going around trying to get laid for a little while and then he falls into this relationship with with a prostitute and you know, is really obsessed with her for a while. And then it kind of just turns sour and, uh, goes to some really dark places. Um, and it's, it's not a pleasant watch, but it's, it's really just sort of masterfully put together. It's very intense. 
Well, I'm, I'm looking at your your write up here. It sounds like there's LCD sound system on the. On yeah, the well, they'll come up later. Yeah, too. that's what yeah. I was going to say. We'll, we'll work our way toward uh, toward some more LCD sound system. Yeah, I mean, Simon Killer kind of uh, it reminded me a little bit of the talented Mr. Ripley, hmm. with sort of um, you know the 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 lead the lead actor. I think Brady Corbett is the actor's name playing this guy Simon and uh he's he's sort of just a, a really manipulative just sort of like pathetic liar um and it it's just a really kind of subjective film that kind of burrows into his head and you know it's very just first person perspective Brady Corbett does sort of excel at that sort of thing just like he's like he he'd be a good he'd be a good candidate. Like let's say they remade Psycho again, he'd make an okay Norman Bates. Like well, he, what do we already know him from? He was in Mysterious Skin. He was in uh, the remake of Funny Games. I didn't see that. I saw Mysterious Skin, my um, favorite film, two thousand five. Okay. I think it's a it's a wonderful film. And or he, whatever year it came out, I think it'll I think that's fine. Um, and then he was in uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene. So oh, he does okay. specialize yeah. in kind of creepy. Not that his character from Mysterious Skin is creepy, but there's definitely, like, he is wounded, very much so. And uh, You know, one of my great um, disappointments in myself in 2011 was that I couldn't come up with a good tweet mashing up Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Martha Marcy May Marlene. (laughs) I was trying trying to make it work, and, uh, and I couldn't do it. Like, for months, I worked at this. Could just combine the titles and say Tinker Taylor May Marlene. Yeah, or, or uh, D- Tinker Marcy uh, Soldier Marlene. Or just say all eight words and just alternate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I just what's the joke there? Just saying it. Just the just, fact that two strange titled movies uh, came out in the same year. That's it. Or, uh, or the marquee ran out of letters or something. <laughs> <laughs> showing both of them. Uh, um. See, there you go already. All right. Um, this is uh, why people need to read Matt Warren on the Battleship Pretension blog. He writes elsewhere, but whatever. Because <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll, gems like that you'll, you'll find. <laughs> yes, at least that good. Uh, <laughs> um, another thing you, you saw that, that caught my interest um, is a, document, a documentary called Marina Ab- Abramovich. 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 Abramovich the artist is present. And mm-hmm. it, it caught my eye because it... Just reading about it reminds me so much of Pina, which just came out this year. Did you see Pina? I didn't see Pina. No, I think I read. Um, was it your review of it? Uh, I wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I loved it. it. It sounds almost like the the same thing because um, I've in reading about Pina, it sounds like uh, part of it is it's a portrait of the artist, and but it's also a portrait of just sort of their cult of personality and the way that they draw people into them yeah. uh, into kind of. Uh, they're sort of like web of charisma or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's very much the same thing with Marina Abravamich. Um, I, I was a little bit familiar with her before because of, um, the same sort of, uh, retrospective, uh, that's covered in the documentary about her. Um, I remember hearing a lot about that when it was going on in New York a couple of years ago. Uh, and they discussed it on the Slate Culture Gabfest mm-hmm. in pretty in pretty good detail and sort of laid out uh, sort of a picture of who this woman was and you know what what her deal was. And if if you don't know, um, she's basically the most she's like basically the Michael Jordan of performance art. Uh, 
which is you know sort of a, a of all of all the esoteric modern arts it is the most modern and the most esoteric so um so it's it's part just sort of a overview of her career highlights um and then sort of the last half of the film and it gets a little repetitious towards the end is just sort of a chronicle of this one uh sort of piece she did at her three month long uh moma retrospective which was basically um her sitting in this in a chair in this sort of big white room kind of surrounded by spectators and then people from the audience who had lined up uh just one by one come in and sit directly across from her and she just wordlessly sort of looks up and meets their gaze and the the other person is allowed to just sit there for as long as they want while she just sort of stares at them essentially (laughs) (laughs) which sounds stupid but um it, it all sort of plays off of her. It's basically a piece about her just sort of natural charisma and the way she sort of almost just hypnotizes these people who are, who are, uh, you know, standing across from her. And I guess the thesis of the, the, the film, and it was also the tagline on the poster was, um, the hardest thing, uh, what was it? It was the hardest thing to do is that, which is close to nothing. And, hmm. and so that's what, uh, you know, and, and it makes a case for it being really sort of a physical event, like a physical feat for her to be able to, to do this every day for three months. So, hmm. so it's about her career and that piece specifically. And that would also be recommended by you? I enjoyed it. I think that's another one that'll be on HBO. A lot of these okay. seem to be HBO co-productions. Um, yeah, it, like I said, it gets a little, uh, I mean, believe it or not, but just long takes of someone sitting in a chair for for the last like third of the film. It uh-huh. gets a little old, but um, <laughs> but but overall, I think it's it's pretty interesting. And if if you're interested in in uh, modern art, which, which I am, it's it's it also goes into like how difficult it is to like curate performance art and to stage a retrospective because it's you know it it basically involves getting models to recreate her famous pieces that she performed herself and mm-hmm. sort of whether that interpretation of the art is more or less valid because it's not the actual creator doing it. Right. It gets into issues of that. That sounds fascinating. What, uh, <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> I, 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 did I did that not sound sincere? Cause it actually sounds really fascinating to me. That's just not a thing that you say, or at least that's not a tone you usually adopt. Well, because that's, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> Um, well, it's it, my patronizing tone. I, do, I haven't been listening for like the last 20 minutes. Uh, but no, it's – I tend to – more and more these days I do tend to like documentaries or even just films in general uh, that explore art specifically, a, uh, a kind of art that I know nothing about. Um, and uh, that – well, there are many reasons why Exit Through the Gift Shop is interesting just structurally. Mm-hmm. But it all, it's also just about this entire subculture that I don't know anything about. And uh, – and in this case, like, I remember it's – this is not really that similar, but I remember uh, a friend of mine um, was talking about an acting technique where if you're in, you're in, front, in front of, a, you know, a bunch of people that are – you're all supposed to be there, like a part of an acting troupe or something like that. And you go up and sit in front – and sit in a chair in front of everybody and they're just looking at you and you're not supposed to do anything. 
You're just supposed to sit there. And the person who's running it lets you know when you when you're done. You just sit there and and we did it I know this guy through my uh through my church in Chicago and we were part of the drama group there and so we did it once and I went up there and I was sitting up there for, you know, several minutes. And it's very strange to have 15, you know, people much less several, you know, many more uh just stare at you. But and then I remember like he goes, "Okay, you're done." I was like, uh, how, "How how did you know I was done?" He goes, "You're done when you finally start to relax. Like when you accept the real, reality of the situation and just kind of everything's fine." Mm-hmm. Because at that point, as an actor, like you need to learn how to do that. And that that's one of the things I was thinking of. I know that this is a very different situation, but the idea of being watched or doing the watching is so it's so powerful and the idea just the act of it without any real explanation is to me fascinating why are you looking at me like that <laughs> i just gonna say that that sounds fascinating <laughs> <sighs> well she yeah she she was there and she gave a really great q a after the film and uh you know i i hope if this ever comes out on, on dvd or something she does uh, a commentary because the way she was talking about how even though even though it looks like she's just doing the same thing every time, the energy of the person sitting across from her is always different and mm-hmm. she reacts in different ways. And she talks about how like sometimes it was just excruciating, you know, just being across from certain people just because of like their steves they were giving off or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and other times, you know, it, it, it seems like, you know, it, was, it would be relief, uh, you know, just based on a person's energy. And I'm not really someone who, believes in a lot of that stuff about people's energy or whatever but it it she clearly does and mm-hmm. it didn't didn't mean nothing that she was feeling these things so. well that's very interesting i would <laughs> like to see that movie how's that dave is that all right i think you both should see pina uh it's it's really good um and i think it's i think it's probably gonna win the oscar this year because it's not really up for, against for documentary yeah because like it's not really up against anything that people said I've heard Undefeated is good. This is the football Undefeated, not the Sarah Palin Undefeated. Yeah. Side note, when I saw that, I'm like, what the hell is going on? I heard that thing was just absolutely ridiculous. And then I saw, oh, that's the Undefeated. Right. Oh, man. Um, and what, uh, Paradise Lost 3? What were the other two? If, uh, something about a tree? Something about a tree. I think it's what, that's what it's called. Something about something a tree. About oh, a tree. the tree of life. That's the one. That's a documentary? Oh, man. Uh, Malik, you magnificent genius. <laughs> <laughs> now you saw a number of short films. Uh, are there any that stood out that you wanted to? Well, this was this was the day. Actually, well, people won't be able to watch them by the time they're listening to this. I guess oh, okay. um, this was the day I actually got snowed out and just had to stay at home. Um, Sundance did this thing this year where uh, they selected a bunch of the the short films from across all of the shorts programs and and just threw them up online on their YouTube hmm. channel and for anyone to watch. Um, and, you know, shorts programs, they're always a mixed bag. I think, you know, short, short movies are not, oh, there's some, there's something about like short films where I feel like it's not that great of a medium a lot of the time. Um, it works best with comedy. Um, and as someone who works for like a comedy video site, I should, I should probably qualify. Yeah. Qual- yeah. Point point towards that so well i I'll, I'll stand up for 
uh, short films in in uh, the experimental sense. I'm a big fan of experimental. Oh shorts. yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm just thinking of like sort of. I, I think to have dramatic weight, you need a little bit more than like eight minutes to sort of set things up and get some energy moving. I think for dramatic weight, eight minutes is fine. For dramatic nuance, you need more. Like yeah, if you yeah. like if you are okay with speaking in just very simple terms. I think eight to ten minutes is is perfectly fine, but yeah, don't expect you're not going to get. I don't think you're going to get a lot of grays in there. I think you're going to get black and white, um, which I'm okay with if it's done well. But yeah, it's in school. We saw a lot of short films, and boy, oh boy, I mean, uh, they weren't that good. A lot of them are, are. I think the most effective short films, and I mean, correct me if you guys don't think this but there's it like the twist ending is a key is a key component to a successful short film i, th- I think that and somebody sitting naked in a bathtub in the fetal position yeah i think that's that's that student the, that's imperative you know what i don't care if it's student or otherwise i need to see that if your film is eight minutes or less but uh, being sarcastic, I, I absolutely hate that. I remember. <laughs> do you guys know the joke? Uh, it's a, lo- a long joke, but it's one of those jokes where the premise is that three guys are waiting to get into heaven, and uh, Saint Peter asks them how they died or something. One of those things that I'm sure is what really happens when you're waiting to get into heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I guess the joke is like um, one guy got crushed by a refrigerator that was falling out of a window. Mm-hmm. The other guy had fallen out of his window, caught onto the ledge below him, um, but then was pushed out when the refrigerator came out the window because the guy inside the apartment thought that he, hanging outside the ledge, was cheating on his girlfriend. Oh, okay. Or or was sleeping with his girlfriend. Yeah. So he threw the refrigerator at him. Yeah, that's easy to do. The third guy, (laughs) he starts... Well, so I'm hiding in my girlfriend's refrigerator. Okay, that's the joke. Okay. I don't know if you've known that. I knew that's an old joke. I knew it. I saw a short film at the Chicago International Film Festival in 2001 that played before um, uh, Italian for Beginners, the um, dogma romantic comedy. Uh, (laughs) That was just that joke. It was just that joke that I had heard, like, I don't know what you call that, just a street joke, I guess. That I had heard. Like a grandpa's joke book joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then someone made a story of it. I don't know. I, I, it I, to I, it took me so long to say that. I forgot my initial <laughs> point was. But that it wasn't exactly... Well, yeah, I, I mean... There wasn't a lot of artistic input there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, most of these are... The, the ones I liked, I, I mean... I mean, I think you're right. The, the, one, the short films I liked are just, like, short jokes that... <laughs> That I thought were were good. I'm I'm looking at the catalog right now, trying to find some of the ones I liked. Um, there was one called I think it was Long Distance Information, which um, I mean I'll I'll spoil the whole thing I guess, but um, <laughs> but it's it's in England and it's just sort of this sort sort of like dirt baggy uh, sort of British guy waking up on the floor of his cheap flat and you know, looking scruffy and he decides to call, he calls his, his uh, dad and his dad picks up and, you know, these people are like clearly like lower, uh, lower middle class, uh, class, class British folks. And they have about a five minute conversation, uh, just 
that that just sort of implies just kind of the sadness of their sort of low low status lives uh before they realize that it's a wrong number and that they don't actually know each other and it's not a father and son so so just just in that it just kind of you know says something about this entire like class essentially so uh, I like and i that. think i think that's that's where a short film can be great is when it knows its premise it doesn't try to fit too much into 8 minutes but it also it also it is possible to have a a premise that you think like this will be eight minutes. It's it's so simple. And it's like mm-hmm. eight, even eight minutes is a bit long for that. <laughs> but um, but when it's just like okay, we need to establish this. Eight minutes is you know seven minutes is long enough. One minute payoff. Like and so a, a really good short film that can be and yes, comedy does often work the best. But it can be really effective, really memorable. Um, on the uh, Criterion DVD for uh, Design for Living, uh, directed by uh, Ernst Lubitsch, uh, there's a a short film that he did as part of a, a larger project, uh, and it just stars Charles Lawton. And the thing is, two maybe three minutes long, uh, and it's just he's this little nebbish guy working at a uh, at this company, and he's just sitting at his desk among uh, you know amidst many other desks, and uh, something gets put on his desk, and he finds that he has inherited one million dollars, and so he just looks at it, folds it up, puts it in his pocket, stands up, and just starts walking. And he walks down the hall, and then he goes through a door, walks down another hall, goes through another door, walks, and, ju- and like, minutes of him just walking very, with, just in a very prim and proper way. And then you see that he's, he, he goes, uh, he makes his way to the president of the company, and he just opens the door, and the guy looks up and just says, yes? And then he just goes like... Like that, and that's the end of it. And it's like that's that is that is a, a short comedy in essence, um, yeah. and it's just delightful. But and it wasn't any longer than it needed needed to be. But it needed to be long enough that all that walking needed to lead up to something so juvenile that Charles Lawton is doing. That's the best part. Uh, uh, any other short films, or shall we move on to? Uh um, James Murphy and LCD Sound System. Let's move on to Mr. Murphy. All right, uh, shut up and play the hits. I'm not. I'm not. That's not an order. I'm not saying that to you. I, I took it as such. That that's the name of the film. It is. Yeah. Um, I, this is. This has uh, been billed as a documentary about um, LCD Sound System, uh, the popular indie dance band. But it's it's actually more just a concert film uh, of. Uh, I don't know if the people listening know, but he sort of called it quits last year and mm-hmm. uh, you know broke up the band after this one final album and tour. And um, it's yeah, it's basically just a it's a, it's basically just a remake of the Last Waltz with hmm. um, LCD sound system. Uh, and I mean that in you know the the best possible way. Um, if you're a fan of that band and and sort of you know just sort of long full song performances and um and you know just watching live music in that way in the theater it's 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 really great uh, shot really well uh i think it was shot on I th- it was definitely shot digitally um and great sound great sound mix um and so just a really good document of you know this this specific 
band and this specific guy because LCD Sound System is essentially just this one guy, James Murphy. Um, and it has a little bit of a documentary element where it just sort of follows him around on the day after the concert mm-hmm. as he's sort of, you know, selling, you know, making arrangements to sell off all the band's equipment and, you know, taking phone calls from well wishers and just meeting up with his manager for one last time to sort of talk to, you know, talk through the logistics of what you actually have to do with, you know, when there are people on the payroll and sort of just, uh, you know, winding this entire machine down. Hmm. And, um, it's sort of intercut with this, uh, conversation, this interview he gives to Chuck Klosterman. Um, and I, you know, some people don't like him. I'm a big fan of Clusterman. Um, I think he's one of the best guys. And <laughs> he has, uh, you know, a really interesting perspective and knows what what questions to ask Murphy and a lot of interesting stuff about, you know, his sort of age and his decision to sort of break the band up at the height of their career. And, and that sort of provides a running narration through the documentary parts. But it's basically just a concert film and a really a really good one. It sounds like the kind of thing, like a, like a lot of concert films. If you're a fan of the band and you have a halfway decent home theater system, that's the kind of thing you're going to want to own. Yeah, it, I could definitely see it as being like a thing you just put on at parties. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like uh, like stop making sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, listeners, uh, and you and me, Tyler, if you thought giant monster pigs. <laughs> were the weirdest thing you're going to hear about. Uh, that's not so based on what I've heard about Room 237. Room 237 is, is that great. Is it weirder than Beasts of the Southern Wild? Well, it... it, uh, um, it uh, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, that's, Room 237 was definitely my favorite movie that I saw at Sundance this year. Well, tell us, tell us what it is first. Well, it's not a documentary so much as it is a, as it is a just sort of feature length uh, video essay about the The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like Tom Anderson's Los Angeles plays mm-hmm. itself. And a lot of people have been saying that this is like a uh, Los Angeles plays itself about The Shining, uh-huh. um, which probably interests anyone listening to Battleship Pretension. Um, yeah, but. Uh, it, it's basically the uh, the director sort of took uh, you know there there like a variety of different interpretations of The Shining, ranging from you know really plausible sort of academic interpretations to really just like um, like laughably uh, bizarre conspiracy theories <laughs> um, and. And what the director does is he just kind of takes five or six of them and just mashes them all up together, sort of just... And uh, each each theory is sort of represented by one advocate who you never see, you only hear their them lay out their case uh, in uh, in voiceover. Well, let's hear both some and of the, the intellectual theories and the consp- <laughs> conspiracy theories. Well, the, the, the most sort of attention-grabbing conspiracy one is that... Um, this is, is uh, difficult to explain, but <laughs> that um, the this person can and they're and these people are never identified by their profession 
or or sort of their their professional background. So what that does is it has the effect of giving every opinion equal weight. Because hmm. um, some of them are some of these guys are like actual um, hardcore film professors and, and journalists, and others are sort of like crackpots with websites. But you wouldn't know that from watching the film because uh-huh. everything is just sort of played with the same tone. Hmm. Um, but the the strangest one is the idea that uh, The Shining is basically just Stanley Kubrick's attempt to confess to having faked the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> and how there are all sorts of sort of coded references in the art direction and the dialogue, basically every element of the film uh, that all, all allude to him, uh, to Stanley Kubrick having been the one to... Fake the moon landing. You know, now, example. Now that you mention it, here's the thing: like that scene where Jack Nicholson types over and over, "I faked the moon landing." It makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Oh, I wish I'd thought of it. Yeah, that. you thought that was from King's book, but it's not. <laughs> Give us an example. Well, it, it's. I'm trying to. It, you know, it's it's really strange stuff. A lot of it is like numerology and like uh. numbers adding up to different things, but. Um, I, the the main one to latch on to for that theory is just how um, Jack Torrance's uh, sort of frustration with Wendy and just sort of him feeling basically the obligation that he feels to sort of fulfill uh, the whims of the hotel, of the Overlook Hotel. That's uh, Jack Torrance is a stand-in for Kubrick, and the hotel is the government. And it's basically uh-huh. him saying, "Like you don't understand what you know what what the country wants from me, and you don't understand my obligation, and you know <laughs> you can't just break a contract." And and, uh, and so this is why he eventually retreated to England because yeah, I think I it, I think it makes a, a pretty convincing case for that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this really uh, this is like beautiful mind level. Uh, <laughs> craziness well, what, yeah, what it's about, like yeah like wounding clan level <laughs> like well, what about the more uh, uh i guess academic uh readings of the film well though i mean the one that i you know i've heard before in in film class and i think is is much more plausible is um how how it's basically all just an allegory for uh, the genocide of like native americans and manifest destiny and, and that sort of thing and that's that's stuff that exists pretty clearly in the text of the film with the hotel having been built on a Indian burial ground and, and, you know, all, all the sorts of different, um, you know, native American art that's a part of the art direction Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and stuff like that. Um, and, and yeah, it's difficult to explain because a lot of, a lot of them are really convoluted. It's the kind of thing where you can, you, you can barely even follow it when you're watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And when people ask you to explain it after the fact, you, you, you're like, well, um, uh, well, I guess there was this one part where there was this, this can of beans in the background that <laughs> had like an Indian headdress on them or, and it was faced a certain way. And that's supposed to like represent, you know, some, something or other, you know? So I, I have to imagine that this film was filled with clips from the shining. Yeah, it's basically wall to wall, just clips from The Shining. So I know with we talked about Los Angeles plays itself. There are reasons that that's never been really released theatrically, except for in festivals and in like uh, 
revival art house type of showings in that it will never be on on dvd or blu-ray mm-hmm. a- am i ever going to be able to see room, room 237 um unclear okay. um during the q a they were asking the director about that and i think his name is uh rodney rodney Archtor or something like that i'll look it up later but um uh, rodney asher rodney asher yeah and he he was there afterwards and someone was asking him about it and he he said that he had been sort of consulting with uh lawyers and that they determined that it would be able to be shown through through like the through fair like the policies of fair use mm-hmm. but he didn't sound totally convinced <laughs> <laughs> so it's it my my guess was that it's seems like the kind of thing that'll turn up on YouTube or Vimeo or something at some point um i i don't know i mean first of all it seems like such a niche thing that it's hard to picture getting like a real widespread theatrical release of any sort um but i you know if it's if it's possible to be seen i would definitely recommend it because it's 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 fascinating and they do um they do this really interesting thing of uh using sort of out of context clips from Kubrick's other movies to sort of stage reenactments when the, uh, the theorizers are talking about their own lives. And so there's, you know, really, really sort of funny sort of juxtapositions of different clips, uh, mostly from eyes wide shut where Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise is sort of standing in for these critics and, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, they're talking about how confused they were after seeing the shining and you see him walking down the street and eyes wide shut, like pounding his glove and like looking (laughs) frustrated. (laughs) What's, what's Rodney Asher like? Is he, is he a normal person? Yeah. He seemed like a, he seemed like a normal dude. Um, I, I wasn't familiar. I, I don't know much about him other than this, this film, but, um, you know, he, he definitely knows how to put together a, an interesting video essay. I think you know. Um, yeah, he he seemed he seemed you know very uh, very sort of compassionate towards uh, the, these different points of view and a, a bunch of the people who uh, who their theories were featured in the the film were actually at this screening too. So mm. that was interesting. Um. Well, let's let's talk about uh, a couple of films you saw on your last day there, or one film, and then I want to save the other thing for last because it really interests me. But um, uh, uh, and then we'll we'll have to wrap up. Um, Gypsy Davy is not a film that I've heard a lot out, uh, about coming out of there. Um, tell me what it is and and if it's if it's good. I, you know, it was it was definitely it was it was decent. It was it was a okay. Um, it was a very just sort of small scale, just sort of personal uh, documentary about um, the woman who directed it. It's basically just her story dealing with her father, um, who is this sort of famous flamenco guitarist who, uh, you know, um, came from sort of poor southern white roots and ended up just sort of going native in Spain and um, becoming. Uh, sort of just one of the preeminent flamenco guitarists and along the way he had you know like four or five ex-wives and one or two kids with each one of them so he just kind of like left a long trail of uh sort of broken families behind him as he sort of just chased this artistic dream or just you know uh 
by, you know, it was clearly a guy who sort of just bought into, you know, the sort of mythic, uh, like rambling musician type Mm -hmm. persona. And it was just sort of about, you know, the pain, you know, she felt kind of being left in the dust by that. And, um, just basically her trying to use this film as a way to sort of reach some sort of peace with who her father, uh, was and, and, you know, it was, it was decent enough. It was a very like small and sort of low budget documentary, not, not too remarkable. Um, it was something I saw mostly just cause it fit into my schedule well on the last day. Um, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's the kind of thing where it has much to say beyond just this like personal story other than just just kind of showing how these people who kind of buy into like the myth of the artist can often, you know, hurt the other people in their lives. Um, and it actually reminded me a lot of a movie I saw on Sundance back when I was in high school called the Ballad of rambling Jack, Mm -hmm. which was about this sort of folk guitarist who influenced Bob Dylan. And I actually think if you have to see one of the two, I would suggest that one instead. I seem to recall it being a lot better. Um, so, so yeah, it was, you know, it was very, very small, but it's, you know, I always feel bad, like criticizing someone's movie when it's obviously just a real personal, like, you know, just a real personal, just diary entry, essentially. Now I want to close, um, with something that really interests me that apparently has been going on for years that I didn't know about. Um, we talked about experimental short films and this is kind of that, plus some other stuff, it sounds like. It's called New Frontier, and it's a yearly, I'll quote you here, annual roundup of non-narrative video art, including installations, games, and interactive multimedia experiences. Yeah, um, they've been doing this every year for at least the last few years. Um, And basically they just, um, it's basically an art gallery that Sundance puts on that features uh, video-based art. Um, And that's everything from sort of you know, short pieces of animation that are, you know, projected in some sort of new or novel way or unusual way or interactive things with smartphones and tablets and screens and sort of an interface you can, uh, sort of manipulate, um, or just really weird, just sort of, uh, you know, large, uh, large pieces of, uh, non-narrative filmmaking, you know, short films that are just more like collections of strange images and tones and, and sounds. Um, or, uh, one that uh, I thought was really great this year. It was called evolution megaplex, which was, uh, this is another, so many of these things are difficult to explain, <laughs> but, um, what it was, it was in 3D, like real D, like you get when you see Avatar or something. Um, and it was this scrolling mural. So basically one entire wall of this kind of small black box theater. And it just scrolled right to left. Um, and what it was, was this sort of like really densely layered collection of just sort of iconic movie moments. So everything from like Ben-Hur whipping the chariots to um, uh, like Vincent D'Onofrio and full metal jacket, like scowling or like shooting. 
um, and like TIE fighters and Godzilla and stuff, mm-hmm. just sort of all kind of mixed together in sort of this this sort of fantastical landscape that I, I think I said in my blog post that it was sort of like a cross between uh, Hieronymus Bosch and, um, and Winston Smith, who's like a collagist who did a lot of like the old Dead Kennedy album covers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... It's something you really have to see to to fully experience. Um, and they just play this like bombastic, like classical music as it just kind of scrolls across the the back of the theater or across this one entire wall, and you just sit and you watch it through 3D glasses. And it's just you know you can just sit for hours just picking out all the different elements on the screen. Uh, it, it's 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 really uh, it was really fascinating. Is the New Frontier thing well attended? It did, it, seemed, it was pretty dead the day I went over there. They moved it to a new location. It used to be right on Main Street, across mm-hmm. the street from the Egyptian Theater. Um, and they moved it to this sort of old hardware store, kind of on this... It's actually the same street the Eccles is on, but it's on the other end of it. Um, and I feel like it was a little sort of out of the way mm-hmm. this year. Uh, it's not in a place where it would really attract a lot of foot traffic. Um so I, I feel like it was a little dead this year. Plus, I, I feel like uh, apart from the Evolution Megaplex piece I just described, uh, it was a little weak this year compared to some of the past years, mm-hmm. um, the other pieces. Uh, so it, it seemed a little dead this year compared to a couple of years ago, which is the last time I went. Well, Matt, uh, thanks not only for joining us on the show, but thanks for going to Sundance. And mm-hmm. um, it was my pleasure. Uh, I mean, I guess you were going to go anyway, but thanks for writing yeah. for us. Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, it's it was probably the best way to remember all this stuff. You know. And uh, and if you want to uh, go back and read uh, Matt's articles, you can just go to battleshippretension.com and just. Uh, under categories click on his name or you can just scroll down until you find the big orange logo for Sundance (laughs) 2012 but uh, but yeah and they're you know they're very they're very interesting and a lot of these movies it's unfortunate that some of them it's like a coin toss when if ever we'll be able to see them but uh, but I'm glad that you got to see them and and, uh, talk about them and I that room two thirty seven thing sounds like an absolute. Uh, it's good, cr- just a crazy experience. But it's one of those movies where I would still be watching it now if it was that long. <laughs> <laughs> where would you say? Uh, I mean, I don't want you to rank every Sundance you've been to, but was this year? Would you say it was a good year at Sundance? I yeah, I feel like it was a a, a pretty good year. Um, probably not as strong as the last one I went to, which was twenty ten. And that, what did you see that year? That was the year they had like Blue Valentine mm-hmm. and um, Catfish. Mm-hmm. That was like the Blue Valentine Catfish year. Um, <laughs> that's how people. That's what they say. And before that, it had actually been quite a few years since I'd been out. So all the ones prior to that kind of run together a little bit. How do you think this? I mean, obviously you didn't see um, some of the big stuff we talked about, but any any idea from the buzz you picked up on the ground there? I mean, at the time we're recording, it's still going on. Uh, if 2010 was the Blue Valentine catfish year, any guesses early on what uh, what 2012 will eventually be known for? Um, well, a lot of people are talking about the Beasts of the Southern Wild. Uh, and as far as documentaries go, 
um I feel like there were I, I feel like there were a lot of like sort of politically char- charged ones this year more so than previous years. So I feel like they'll all kind of do about you know why we fight or or mm-hmm. that kind of level of business. Um but Beasts of the Southern Wild I th- would be the one I would pick to be the breakout. Yeah. I'm fascinated by everything I read about uh, Detropia. That one sounded interesting too. Um I didn't get a chance to see it but it, that I, I I was I was um, not attracted to so many of the the sort of overtly politically charged documentaries, but that seemed like one that just sort of made its point point subtly and well, what I've sort of more tonally. Detrobia, um, a movie that I've I think definitely mentioned on the, on the show, or um, wrote, I wrote a review of it and mentioned it on Twitter plenty uh, from earlier this year was uh, Klitschko, a documentary about. Um, uh, Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko, the brothers who both box. And what I loved about it is it's a documentary, but it's presented very, very cinematically. It's not Mm -hmm. just like handheld, you know, shaky, like gritty verite. It's really presented in a filmic way. And that's what, that's what Detropia sounds like from the reviews that I've read. And that's maybe why I'm uh, so drawn to it. Yeah, it it sounds great. So, um, uh, as as Tyler said, um, you can read Matt's um, Sundance coverage as well as everything else he's ever written for us at battleshippretension.com, which is where you can always go to listen to the show or or uh, read reviews of uh, theatrical releases and home video releases and other features such as uh, Robert Evans changes uh, cable <laughs> providers or uh, Justin Bieber in Falling Down. Um, it's the best stuff you'll ever read. Uh, this coming... Friday, the February third. Yours truly, David Bax, dominates the um, <laughs> the movie reviews. I've got a lot to write in the next week. There'll be reviews by me of James Watkins, James Watkins, The Woman in Black. That's the <laughs> horror movie starring Daniel Radcliffe, which I'm weirdly excited for, um, but haven't seen yet. Um, Ty West's The Innkeeper, so big <laughs> horror week for February, um, which I have seen and is very good. And then there will be a review of Ken Quapis Big Miracle. <laughs> the whale movie. I haven't seen that either. I haven't yet, even heard of it. But, what, it what is it? Uh, it's uh, um, okay. I'll read the little. In small town Alaska, a news reporter recruits his ex-girlfriend, a Greenpeace volunteer, on a campaign to save a family of gray whales trapped by rapidly forming ice in the Arctic Circle. So it sounds like a noble cause, but it doesn't sound like the makings of a good movie. Isn't Ken Quapis one of the guys who did Larry Sanders' show? Uh, back you should in the day? see. You know what? I'm going to pull up. He's done everything you like, and so many things you haven't. <laughs> um, like he did. Uh, he's not just in. He's just not that into you, right? Didn't he direct that? Or oh, write that it? sounds right. But let me read some of the names in this in this cast of this movie you've never heard of. Okay. Uh, Kristen Bell, Dermot Mulroney, okay. Drew Barrymore, John Krasinski, Ted Danson, <laughs> Stephen Root, Tim Blake Nelson, James Lagro, Rob Riggle. Andy, Andy Daly, Bruce Altman. All these people are in this movie. I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> it, to see still, it. <laughs> it still does explain why I haven't heard of it, by the way. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a huge Bruce Altman fan. But, uh, but how, show, show like me I, your Bruce Altman tattoo. I, I sound like I'm making fun of Bruce Altman. I like him a lot. <laughs> he's in he's, my favorite Sopranos episode of all time, Whitecaps. That's a good episode. Um, but, I mean, I've been waiting to see Dermot Moroney and Rob Rickle on the screen at the same time for so long. Well, it sounds like you're going to get your chance. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, you'll see reviews of those three films from me uh, on the website, and always check the website for for reviews as stuff rolls out. You know, uh, the reviews are very easy to get to. You can you can either search for them or, or on a website, or go to reviews, and they're even from there bifurcated into theatrical or home video reviews. So if if something that's a, a you know a, a release that is rolling out across the nation um, is just now coming to your town, like say in Albert Knobs. Go and go and look for for the review. Decide whether or not you should see it. Uh, and, you uh, incidentally, a couple of things, a couple of uh, Oscar re- related things. Uh-huh. Um, excuse me. First off, uh, yes, we didn't discuss it at all today. We're not going to discuss it next week either. Uh, as per our uh, tradition, we will be having uh, comedy film nerds Graham Elwood and Chris Mancini on the show to talk about it, but uh, their schedule uh, suddenly changed, so it's going to be a couple weeks uh, late. But we will discuss the Oscar nominees in oh, depth. no question. Uh, <laughs> so that's the first thing. Second thing, um, you can uh, look back over our blog, and we do have an entry where it has all the Oscar nominees and links to review uh, BP reviews of that movie if there is one, which there is in most cases. In most, in a surprising, yeah. I was I'm very pleased with us. There's no dis- official Descendants review, no. but if you read my movie journal, which is right. where I write a couple paragraphs about the movies that I didn't get a chance to review or didn't see till later, I did in one of them uh, write about the Descendants. And yeah, that's that's really the the notable one that uh, that we don't have. But uh, but yeah, that we there. If you want to hear all about our and extremely loud and incredibly close, which I can't get anybody, including me, to go yeah, see. I wouldn't call that notable. But uh, <laughs> well, I guess yeah, fair enough. Um, that that Max von Sydow film. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, and then also um, we we didn't discuss the. The specifics, so this this will probably go up later on in the week, but uh, we are going to have a contest regarding the Oscars. Oh yes, about yes. Uh, in which you can you can vote for what you think will win, and I haven't yet figured out if I will want you to email me your votes or put it in the comments section of that particular blog post, which I might stick to the front of the page and just have that going. Uh, and that's the thing is we didn't we didn't really talk about it. So just just know that that contest is coming up. So have your picks ready, and then okay, we'll we talk about it. it. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah, I like the idea of the comments. I don't like the idea of sticking it to the front page. Okay, well we'll see what we can. We'll do. talk about this off mic. Absolutely, which we should have. And so I'm sorry for bringing <laughs> these this are the up. kind of conversations <laughs> that Tyler Tyler and I have. Our uh, as we discussed last week, Tyler and I, our relationship is a compromise. <laughs> I'd say that's about right, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, yeah and so, right here. I wanted to be friends with someone cooler, and then I come. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, so that's it's a contest. That was, and, I was being Tyler saying that about, yeah, me. very much so. Okay, yeah, but um, but it's yeah, like certified the, copy here. The, <laughs> the price will uh, the 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 price the prize. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you have to enter. You have to pay to enter the contest. Uh, we're really hurting for money, but uh, no, the prize will be just a like. You know, uh, a certain amount, a certain amount of money, probably like thirty bucks, towards the BP store, and that includes the DVD store as well. Great. So, um, so yeah, uh, be looking for that in the next in the coming week. So, if you have any questions about it, you can email Tyler at battleshipretention dot com. By then, have, I should have. By the time this posts, I should have some answers for you. <laughs> and if you have any praise to lavish on me, I'm at 
david at battleshippretension.com and uh, I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. Tyler is on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review show, previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. So, Matt, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank everybody for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.